Have you ever gotten an email that spells your name wrong? I'm going to ask that question. The worst. Like Dale Carnegie wrote about it a hundred years ago. People love their name. And if you get their name wrong, people will have a conniption. And I have a conniption because I know what's going on and it's very frustrating. Um, so get that personalization right. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Sunny Side Up podcast. I am your host, Tara Quell. A few housekeeping things just before we get started here. If the listeners who enjoy the show wouldn't mind subscribing and letting us know in the comments what you liked so we can keep improving, we would really, really appreciate all your feedback. So we make sure that we're getting the right hosts and the right content for you all. Today, I'm super excited to talk to Robbie Freeman on creating great customer experiences. Robbie is Movable Inc.'s Associate Director of Financial Services Strategy, supporting financial service clients to leverage Movable Inc. technology to reach their business objectives. Prior to joining Movable Inc., he spent eight years at American Express, driving customer lifecycle strategies for the small business, consumer, and foreign exchange business units with a focus on increasing share of wallet, driving the best customer behavior, and optimizing production efficiency. His 10 years of customer marketing experience include omni-channel experiences across email, mobile, direct mail, web, and social media. Robbie, I'm so excited to have you at the show today. I am so excited to be here. It is a lot to hear someone read your bio. It is a weird sensation, but it, it felt really good. And I'm excited to be here to talk some uh, personalization and customer experiences. I know it is always kind of weird to hear like someone else speak about you. Um, yeah. It can be very humbling. So yeah. as we said, you know, we've both grown up in financial services. Can you give me a bit of background on what that looked like for you? And then I'll share with our audience kind of my background, financial services, and then we'll talk about how that got us to our current position. For sure. So um, I think that the bio did a really great job of kind of giving you a sense of I ha I've been at Moveling for about a year now. But before that, I was at American Express for eight years and had a ton of experience there. I started out in uh, FX payments, which was a really interesting space in, in an international role, supporting our uh, account growth teams. Uh, and then I shifted to consumer credit cards and really got a, a sense for the core product offering of American Express and the core product offering of a lot of uh, large companies. Um, and then I shifted over to the small business employee cards, early tenure and loyalty space, uh, working small business. So and more the B2B space. So really have a breadth of uh, kind of experience working with different customers, working in different ways. So it's just uh, really like having a whole view of F FX, uh, sorry, of a uh, a uh, financial service has been great. And then as I've shifted to Movable Inc., I've kind of diversified even further, uh, working in insurance, working in banking, crypto, buy now, pay later, whatever the new hotness is, I'm working on it, I'm learning about it. And it's just a really cool experience to be doing. I love that. I know. And sometimes I feel like financial services has this stigma with it that it can be boring and it's not that exciting. And I have found it, obviously, since I'm still in it, to be just super dynamic and it's always changing. So I started out in the prepaid space. The company I started at, you know, had 10 employees, a very small startup. I did a mix of roles over there, B2C side of the house. They were later acquired by Green Dot. 
Then I made my way over to the B2B side of an asset manager. And, you know, this was really at the age where I feel like digital marketing was becoming the hot new thing. And if anyone who's listening remembers when e-delivery was a huge initiative, that that was kind of around the time that I made my move over to Fidelity. And I did that role for about four years, staying on the B2C side of the house. And then I really wanted to get you know, more into my career and ex- expand my skill set. And so I made my way across the organization over to their workplace solutions and was standing up, you know, a B2B marketing automation group with my manager and myself at the time and led our ABM strategy for four years. I was a customer of Demandbase. That's how I ended up over here at Demandbase. And now I'm standing up our financial services vertical. I sit within product marketing and I really couldn't think of a more exciting role. I get to speak to customers every day. I get to build out the positioning and the messaging. And it's really allowed me to get some, I guess, more of that like T-shaped marketer experience. So I have a pretty wide breadth going on now. And I have, you know, a few areas that I would say I'm a SME in. Um, yeah, and I think it's interesting. Like you, you wound up a demand base for the same reason I moved. To, uh, I'm I wound up a Move Link is that we were customers of the product. We used it. We believed in it. And then we were like, oh, this is a logical move for me to support this product and to really champion it. And it just kind of shows like where your your career can go. Like I didn't really see myself going more agency side, but like I found a product I really like believed in and I was like, okay, let's do this. A hundred percent. And like what better advocate to have than like a prior customer. That's how I think of it. So let's yeah, talk a sure. little bit about um, how, how those roles kind of got us into our current position and like the roles that we've held within marketing and what those looked like. Sure. So I think for me, like the true like road to this job was really my first job was when I I just started working across marketing and I got a feel for email marketing and it seemed like something I liked. I was working with Eloqua. I was working for a software company and then I made a shift to working for uh, a dying retail company. Um, If you ever bought five DVDs for a penny, um, I worked for that company in 2011 and you could imagine what it's like working for a DVD company company in 2011. Um, But I learned a ton. And I was just sending out a lot of campaigns. And I was learning A-B testing. And I was learning um, just offers. And I I was learning. I learned so much. And then I took that to American Express. And I started to get more into kind of the larger, larger scale company. And what was really exciting there was I really started to work with the technology. And when I joined Consumer, I started working, I had a great leader and I was I was working in like with technology and Movable Inc. was one of those pieces of technology. And I was very curious and I was looking about how we can integrate different data and how we can do this and how we can kind of like move marketing forward. And this led to kind of cool roles where we were doing kind of agency RFPs uh, for a new e-newsletter. And I got to sit on that meeting as a a junior person and really kind of pick apart what was the positives and negatives of of this agency, what was kind of like their vision. And we wound up going with an agency. And ironically, I helped pick this agency. And then three years later, I wound up running this project, um, like completely, like just like, like by chance. And really, again, integrating technology, integrating this really data first perspective, um, because sometimes you'll find an agency that wants to be data first, and you can really like work with them to 
kind of create your vision. And sometimes they'll be a little bit more traditional. So finding something like that was really key to me. And then just kind of working with different teams within American Express, building my brand there, um, building new partners, jumping to B2B. Um, really cool, just getting different experience there. And then while I was there, I became very close with another great marketer who was a former Movable Inc. employee. And we became very tight and we learned a lot from each other. I would go to her desk to just like bounce ideas off of. And then she comes to me and she's like, there's an open role at Movable Inc. I think you'd be great for with my old leader. And it was kismet and I wound up coming to movable Inc and it was a really just great experience and like kind of logical progression of like assisting leading and then going, okay, I can lead this. I can lead other organizations now also. And that's where um, my current role is where I'm kind of leading other people to help them optimize things. So kind of that natural progression, surprisingly, but it happened. Yeah. You make it sound so easy and that it yeah, is it was natural, so easy. Like, no bumps. But like the, yeah. The turn of events is just so lots of luck too. You know, what really stands out to me is that it's the, it's, it's the challenge of FinServe almost that like it is its own space where it is really challenging and in a good way. Um, and I think that's what we get value out of. I, I think about um, what is what is it like to do retail marketing or B2C marketing versus B2B? And it's while very similar there's there's challenges that we face, but I think those are the challenges that are almost like fun um, to kind of problem solve for. There's a little bit of tighter regulation. There's sometimes more challenging legal compliance partners. But from the customer perspective, and this is something that like we've done research on, um, there's the same expectations that they're going to get the same kind of quality of information, the quality of data that they're going to get. So uh, like that is really the challenge that we as financial marketers are looking at. And I think we're doing a good job of, of solving for. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I think um, to your point around challenges, there there's not only the tighter regulations, but like the expectations that you as a consumer in your day-to-day life have, those really I don't feel like are any different. And so when you think about millennials and Gen Z and how they're coming up in the workforce, I actually read something on LinkedIn last night that was so interesting that by 2030, 74% of the talent pool will be millennials and Gen Z. And just the way that we have grown up almost as digital natives and the types of experiences we expect mm-hmm. will be how we want to buy products and services for our business, right? For sure. And so let's talk a little bit about some of those challenges. I know you mentioned the tighter regulation, but let's um, let's kind of dive dive in there and talk about those challenges and how sure. maybe some of those financial services folks who are listening can, you know, work, work, work with the challenges that, you know, they have at hand. Yeah. Like this still sound a little cheesy, so bear with me, but, uh, any, any good challenge is also a really good opportunity. Um, I, I think you could, you could probably put that in like a, uh, love is love is love kind of, uh, lettering and put it on your wall. Um, but the, the idea there is that the reality of the speech space is that you need to work with these partners. They're like, I, I think when you're younger, um, or at least when I was younger, I looked at them as roadblocks and I looked at them as like, ugh, I can't believe legal isn't letting me do this. Or I can't believe compliance is not letting me do this. This kind of is so ridiculous. Um, and then I slowly learned or I slowly matured. It was like, 
they have their own job to do. I, I once asked, I remember once asking a question at American Express, like, why are we doing X? And the answer ultimately was because of a Supreme Court decision. And I was like, oh, that's a really good reason that there was like a yeah, Supreme I'll Court decision. Back right now yeah, I was and- like, you know what? Like, maybe I don't need to say uh, X, Y, Z um, if the Supreme Court, if we're worried that the Supreme Court is going to have a problem with it. Like, those guys are pretty smart. Um, so, like, you have to realize that your partners are looking out for the company as well. Um, and you have to work with them. This is a little bit of like marketing. I got a marketing degree in college. Um, this is marketing 101. But like what I use when I'm talking to these partners is always a them. So what's in it for me? Um, and really positioning things with them. So when I talk to a compliance person, or I talk to a legal person, I always like to ask them or I talk to a tech person. I go, is there a manual process that I can help you automate? Is there a risk that I can help you mitigate? What is the, what is the pain point that my, that like, where I can solve your pain point and also get what I want. And uh, kind of like a, like a, 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 I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I find that to be really effective in these conversations because it'll be like, oh, well, we ha-, tech will be like, well, we have to pull this report once a week and it's really annoying and it's time consuming. And I'm like, what have we automated that? And then, and like, because you're doing it already. Or compliance will be like, we, we can't track all this. It's too much. And it's like, we can have a report that kind of pulls that all in for you and we can send that to you monthly. And they're like, wow, that'd be great. And that's how you get things prioritized. And that's how you get things in the hopper. And it's, you're almost like Trojan horse horsing things that you want to do um, with these partners into reality. And it's, and it's the way that kind of gets things done. That is so true. And I think, you know, folks who, who either come into financial services or, or haven't for whatever reason, really figured out that system it seems so simple. And as I was like reading through our notes before we got on here, it reminded me of a situation I had at Fidelity where, you know, the best way I felt to get my either procurement partner or my legal risk and compliance team on board with me was to bring them in early and make sure I had a good business justification on why I wanted to do something. And then to your point about like, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours type of thing. One very tactical piece of advice I have for people is if you have a compliance, legal, or risk person who has a laundry list of questions for you and and you seem to feel like you're not really making any progress towards your goal, just create a shared document. Go through those questions at the beginning of your meeting. Make sure that they feel comfortable, that they're getting the Mm -hmm. things answered they need answered. And at the end of the day, like, you can use that documentation for if you move on to another role or if they move on to another role, then you have, you know, what was discussed, what was agreed upon. And ultimately, like, to your point, like, they're just trying to do their job and their job is to reduce risk for the firm. And your job within marketing, and specifically, like my job within marketing automation was to bring innovation to the firm. So it can be a bit of like a headbutt there between the two groups. But I think if you can find a common ground and you can work together, then ultimately like you'll be able to work with yeah. the challenges that you may have. I think the key thing that you that you mentioned is bringing them in, in early. And that was something that I learned, um, not the hard way, but I think I just saw the difference that that had. Um, because when you bring someone in late to the process, they immediately take a defensive position. They go, 
were you trying to sneak this by me or you didn't think I needed to know this? And they immediately get kind of like defensive. Um, but I have found that if you over communicate at some point, they'll just be like, yeah, yeah, I know it's fine. Whatever. Uh, like, like not, not that like level, but like there's definitely times where I've over communicated and they're like, Hey Robbie, we're fully aligned. Like you can proceed. And like, that is, that is the partner you want. You want you need to hear. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's music to my ears. Um, I, 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 yeah, I think that that is just really key in like, you want to make them feel part of the team. You want to make them feel like they're not an afterthought because we can be a little like we, we're marketers. We're, we're humans. We can be selfish. And it's like you need to realize that everyone else has their priorities and that you you want to loop them in. Um, also, a, ba- a good agile scrum doesn't hurt hurt if you're doing marketing. Um, that's kind of the dream. Usually the resources aren't there for that. But like that's always the best case scenario if you can have someone kind of weighing in on decisions at all times. But that's uh, that's the best case scenario in my mind. I think that was a really good conversation around the challenges. We talked a little bit about like what does a good partner look like? And, you know, when we were initially having our conversation and what we thought our listeners would like to hear over here at demand base, like we're constantly, you know, looking for the right decision makers, right? Like who, who are those people who are in market ready to buy and what are their titles? What do they look like? What, and then you and I kind of dove in a little bit deeper and we're like, well, what is the skill set and what, you know, what makes them be set apart from other financial services folks who, you know, may be just kind of doing the run of the mill thing. So let's talk a little bit about who these good partners are and what they look like. Sure. So it's interesting. Like you're coming from it from the sales side. And on my end, um, my role is kind of, is really we like we have a relationship with this customer. I'm working with them on big projects, kind of innovation um, kind of projects. But even still, you need that good partner to help you get that um, that project um, bought in. And what I I think the easiest like the easiest way to look at it is you want to look for the person who in college was and if there was a group project they were the person who was leading the group project you don't want the person I love that analogy yeah like because you honestly you seem like a person who was leading the group project and I mean that as a compliment because you reached out to me about join, uh, doing the podcast you're like let's find something to talk about and that's the kind of person you want you want the ambitious person I I was actually just having recently having a conversation with a client and I was like and it was a VP and I was like. I want to identify a manager who wants to be a VP in three years. Like, help me find that person in your organization because that person is going to be the person who is going to try to cut down red tape. They want to innovate. They want to find, they want to, they want to get new access. They want to, they want to wow their, their bosses. There are employees at all companies. And I, I saw this at Amex. I saw this at, at every company I was at. There were people very con- content with doing their job, punching in, punching out. But you also have those people of that are just so ambitious and they want to kind of change things and they want to be there. They, they won't settle for what is currently here. And what I like to do with these con- with these contacts and uh, I hope I'm not giving away too many of my secrets, but I almost like to develop like a quote unquote, like a farm system of these people, because just because there's they're low level now doesn't mean they're going to be low level forever. And you can really get really great relationships going with them innovate with them, treat them with high touch the same way that you would treat a senior person. And this kind of farm system will pay off. These people have the ears of their leaders and they will be leaders in the future when they move to their next job or they move up in the company. You have already put that kind of 
energy in. And that is what I am looking for. Um, that, that's a little bit, that's kind of a lot of stuff, but I'll, I'll turn back to you if you have any perspective on that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that was really interesting when you talked about developing a farm system of contacts, because I think of, I think about myself in my prior role at Fidelity, where this was the first time that I was evaluating buying and purchasing technology. And at the time, I had been in my role for maybe a month or two. I was a senior marketing manager. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're on the outside looking in, like I may have not looked like your typical decision maker because I was new to the organization. I was somewhat young in my role. I had never bought technology before. Mm -hmm. But I, to your point, was looking to grow my career, looking to advance. I really wanted to make my move like within that organization and make a strong mark. And I wasn't scared of like, you know, the typical challenges because I had already been in financial services for so long and I knew how to network. I knew how to partner with people. And I was ultimately able to, one thing that I think is really interesting is find the people who are able to like understand the business level data that goes beyond their scope of function and how their function directly impacts that data. So what is like that larger vision and are they able to sell into that vision? If you're tactically thinking through that, I would say you're looking for somebody who has strong communication skills. I I think the way that we used to talk about it is you have somebody who can think big picture, but also get into the details so they can fly and land the plane. Because at times, yeah. you'll have people who are, you know, those big picture ideas folks, and they're in the clouds a lot. And that's great. And we need those folks. But we also need the folks who can come out of the clouds and land the plane and make sure that, you know, we're getting those people, customers, whoever, to their next spot in the journey. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting for from like a marketer perspective, I see the same thing where I, I, I like to kind of like actively listen and like, and this is what I, I could, I could spot it at Amex also when I, while I was there, but I can spot it with clients now also is, are they thinking beyond the scope of their role? So when I'm talking about an email campaign with them, are they talking about their email campaign? Um, are they talking about how their email campaign is just going to drive clicks or whatever? Or are they talking to me about how their email campaign is going to interact with the phone channel that's going to interact with the web channel and it's going to drive a VP level goal? And I think that's what you're talking about of seeing the clouds. But on the flip side, I love your kind of point is that as much as you want that person who's pie in the sky, big picture thinker, they need to be able to roll up their sleeves and go and do stuff. And they need to be able to execute. They need to be able to understand the technical part of it. And they need to be able to do all that. So it's, uh, I don't want to say unicorn because there's a good amount of them, but it is a, a matter of finding these right kind of people out there to really engage with a product and really take advantage of the, of the tool that's, that's ahead. That's in front of them. Yeah. I think, I think one thing that you mentioned, which will lead us into kind of our next, um, large talking point here is that that person who can think end to end, right? So they're not, they're not looking at just like this singular touch point, but they're thinking about like the entire life cycle of the customer journey. And, you know, I, the title of our podcast today was all around creating better customer experiences. So let's talk a little bit about 
What do we think makes a solid customer experience in financial services? I feel like there are probably a number of listeners who are hopefully on the edge of their seat right now because this is such an exciting topic to talk about. And so, so many financial services firms, I think, who are working really hard to get it right. And the ones who get it right will definitely be the ones who like propel way ahead of the others in terms of like how they gain customer loyalty and the way they innovate. There's just so much room and they have so much data at their fingertips to do this well. I really think they need to just find a way to like, you know, work work, work with the challenges they have, but also thinking through like those next best experiences and, and how do they build that around the customer. So let's kind of dive into what we think makes a really good experience here. So the three big words that that jump out to me when I think about what makes a solid cost customer experience in FinServe uh, is personalized, timely, and secure. And it's really not that different from any other vertical. And I think that is one of the interesting things is that sometimes we do get caught up in financial services thinking we are we have this regulation, we have this thing, but I think people react the same way they do to good marketing across retail, across uh, media, across sports, across everything, is that they want everything to feel one-to-one. Or they don't even know, Some most people don't even know this, but they react better when it's one-to-one. When someone has personalized data, when someone has a personalized offer, when they want to redeem points, or when they want to know about their bank account, the personalizedness is so so important to make sure that you're having a good email experience. Um, I always use the baseline example of, have you ever gotten an email that spells your name wrong? I'm going to ask that question. The worst. The worst. worst. Like Dale Carnegie wrote about it a hundred years ago. People love their name. And if you get their name wrong, people will have a conniption. And I have a conniption because I know what's going on and it's very frustrating. Um, So get that personalization right. The next thing is timeliness. Have you ever gotten an email where you're like, I already did that? Like I, I, I like I am someone where I love, I love the marketing. I, I there's a marketing campaign that I get every week. Basically, I get a coupon on Wednesday. Um, I it, it reminds me on Sunday, and then it gives me a last chance on on Tuesday, and then it circles and it comes back again. And one of the frustrating things I find about this campaign that I really love is that when I use my campaign, when I use my coupon on Saturday. Why am I getting a reminder on Sunday? Why am I getting a reminder on Tuesday? I don't need those. And making you should be pulled out of that journey. I should right? be pulled out of that journey. And you know what? Like I like it is one of my favorite marketing campaigns. So like you know, it's no one's perfect, but I I really think that it has to be timely because people and I might be more discerning because I've been working in email marketing for ten years, 15, 12 years at this point. Um, but timeliness is really important. So making sure that your data, your lists, the information that you're sharing is accurate. And then finally, secureness. And and this one is probably a step above for financial services o- over every other industry. Um, making sure data is secure. It was really interesting. We once did a um, like a customer research at American Express where we asked about like if we if we ask you for this information would you be okay with us retargeting you based on this information? Like very overtly. And some data points, people were like, no, 
I no, I don't want really. to do that because I I just don't trust the security. And that was good for us to know. Like even though Amex very secure, um, just making sure they were like, I don't want that information out there, and that's good to know. And then on the flip side, they're like, if I give you this information, I want you to make sure I want to make sure that you use it right. So like that you're using it. Like I don't want to be just willy nilly giving you this information for you not to use it in an effective way. So really thinking about these three things: secure, personalized, timely. I will stop repeating myself now and let you kind of jump in. Awesome. No, I think I think those are all, you know, those three key points kind of lead into what I was thinking about. And that is all around focusing on delivering the next best experience. I think, you know, I mentioned previously that FinServe can, they can provide perceivable value to customers in their moments of need. Like they have all the data to do that. And what the next best experience represents is the ability to identify and deliver the right experience to the right customer at the right time with the right message based on everything you know about them. It's it's how we see things happening in our day-to-day lives as consumers. It's what they expect in B2B as well. One thing that I did want to touch on is historically what I've seen some marketers do in financial services, and I'm sure you've seen this too, is that they'll take this very myopic approach. And you, and you touched on that a little bit earlier around personalization, where were they just thinking about their email campaign? And are they just looking at these you know, very specific vanity metrics? Well, many financial services firms approach personalization from the needs like of the business versus thinking about that end-to-end customer lifecycle and journey, right? And so there's yeah. there's kind of four key points that I like to think about when I'm thinking through how a financial services firm could help their customers. The first being, I have information to help you. A great example of this, this is this is a real life example. I have the Capital One Venture Card. Shout out to Capital One. Love them. I accidentally tipped too high <laughs> on a bill and that triggered an alert. I got an email notification. I got an SMS and they said, hi, Tara, on X date, you went to X bar and grill for dinner. You tipped this amount, which triggered a notification to you. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't mean to tip $80. I meant to tip $8. But then I felt so bad because this was, I think this had been like, you know, right when COVID was kicking off and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't go back and like take away that money from- Like someone, it made someone's day. It made somebody's day. And so essentially I just like called over to them and was like, hey, I accidentally tipped this amount, but you know, I just want to let you know, like keep it as is. And I told Capital One, I was like, thank you for calling this out. This is a prime example of like that next best experience. Like it was timely, it was personalized, it was secure. I knew what happened and I was able to like decide if I wanted to take action on it or not. The next thing I would think about for like a financial services marketer is like, how can I make something easier for you? If you all remember the times when you had to actually go to the bank to physically deposit a check, that can be super time consuming for people. And then, you know, my brain exploded when I learned that I could uh, take a picture of my check and deposit online. I was so, so happy. It was was incredible. It was an incredible feeling. And my dad told me it. I was like, I was like, my dad is teaching me something about technology and it is amazing. Amazing. I know, right? So how can you make something easier for your customers? That's a great example. 
The last two are, you might need this. So if you have, the way that I like to think about this, like you may have like a baseline product, whether that's like a checking account or a business checking account, but then, you know, we know you're going out and you're looking for equipment financing and we have this really great rate right now for equipment financing. Would you be interested in learning more about this? That That is something that is personalized. It is probably relevant to that business owner, given they have a business checking account and you know that they're getting ready to open a restaurant where they may need some equipment financing. Last but not least, which is probably, in my mind, maybe the most important in financial services, and that's like, I'm here for you. Whether this is a retirement provider and they're offering, you know, assistance or it's a financial advisor and they're offering advice, just make sure that it's like genuine and empathetic and personalized. Um, yeah, those are, those are kind of my notes around like think a little bit bigger picture and don't get so hung up on like the myopics of personalization. Like, Yes, it's great to personalize on first name, but can you can you broaden it out to like I have information for you, I can make your life easier and I'm here for you. Those are all really great touch points in the customer life cycle where you can personalize against those and create really good experiences and it's the experiences that are going to ultimately gain loyalty for your customers, I think. Yeah, I think one of the campaigns that really got me to become like a movable ink nut in terms of how much I loved using the product was related to Next Best Action and uh, or Next Best Experience. And this was something I did in my early tenure journey. And it's something that I just like think about how much value it brings. So the idea was I built a whole modular template for like three emails in a modular template. And the idea is that on an onboarding journey, there's a bunch of actions that you want people to take Uh, and credit cards. You want them to um, create an account. You want them to activate their card. You want them to enroll in paperless. You want to enroll in autoplay. The the list goes on. We had a list of like 14 items that said if they do these, they're going to be crazy profitable like over the long term. And I'm sure everyone has a list like that. And what we were doing before Movable Inc. was we were we were sending out email one with with numbers one through five. Then we were sending out email two with numbers six through six through ten. And it was very static and it didn't really have a sense of like, okay, what did this person actually do? But what I was able to do using kind of like a modular approach and what is really cool about Nextbex Action is if I if someone got email one and they already they already enrolled their card, they already enrolled in autopay. I don't need to tell them to enroll in Autopay anymore. So I'm going to collapse that message out and I'm going to give them the next message. I'm going to say, sign up for dining rewards or here's this benefit. And on the flip side, if someone's getting their third email and they haven't even created an online account, I don't want to be talking them to them about a loan product or about like this really niche benefit. I want to say, hey, uh, update, like <laughs> add your card to your online account. And having that level of personalization within the journey in a nimble and kind of quick way is something that is so valuable. And we saw a huge uptick in the level of engagement and just like the behavior and kind of driving the behaviors you want just by personalizing within a three email journey. Um, So there's just so much opportunity to personalize. And that is, again, that's almost a basic way to kind of do personalization with next to action. I know from working with a bunch of clients and uh, from my time in Amex, et cetera, uh, take a, take a shot every time I say Amex on the, on this call. Um, but um, 
uh, what I know is that AI is where everyone's kind of thinking. So everyone's thinking, how can we use an AI-powered engine, whether internal or external-based, to figure out what the next next best action is? So this person might be warm for a cross-sell, or we should offer them a mortgage loan. And let's. And I think the dream is to do that across channels. So it's like someone clicks online and then in their next email, they're getting like the engine has said, oh, this person probably is needs this offer. And Movable Inc. is something that can help power that. And it, it's just really an exciting space. And I think who, the people who are going to succeed in financial services, and, and we see this, is are the people who do this well. Um, people with the best apps are the people with AI intelligence in their apps. And this just seems, it, it, not table stakes, but this is kind of the differentiating uh, factor, the competitive advantage. If I go back to business school, um, uh, <laughs> a sustained competitive advantage, if I really go back to business school, um, uh, of what uh, like is really going to be successful. So it's really just exciting stuff out there. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you were talking about just like the whole the whole journey around personalization. And one thing that I wanted to mention is how many times have you gone to a financial services website where it looks just like the other one, right? There's no personalization. There's mm-hmm. nothing to let you know that, hey, do you even know who I am over here? Like, you have all this data on me and you, you should know like, who I work for and who I am as a person. Why are you not personalizing on that? One of the things over here at DemandBase that we have the ability to do is not only not only personalize our advertisements because we have our own B2B um, DSP that's pri- pri- that is built for us for B2B is we have the we also have the to your say, like a competitive advantage where we can personalize websites as well using fermiographic data. And if you're in financial services and you aren't exactly sure where to start with personalization, yes, we talked about like this myopic view and not to not to think in like small pieces, but sometimes you have to start small and that's okay. And one of the things that I did early on in my career while using demand base was personalizing on industry. So you can let folks know, hey, we recognize that you're in manufacturing, or you're in healthcare, and we're going to serve up content that resonates with you based on your industry. We're also going to serve up creative assets that resonate with manufacturing and or healthcare. Another way to do this is by looking at like sizing, right? Like, are you selling into enterprise? Are you selling into mid-market? Are you selling into small business? And creating messaging and content and creative assets all around that. There's so many different ways that you can start by using personalization, it doesn't have to be this big end-to-end customer experience. Like ultimately, that's the goal. But sometimes you have to start small, and those are just a couple ideas of how you can use fermiographic data to, you know, at least let your customer know who you are. I know sometimes in financial services, folks get a little bit spooked, spooked out. I think this is, I think this is going a little bit, you know, away just because in our day-to-day lives as consumers, we are very recognizable and people are always calling us out by name and serving us up customer experiences mm-hmm. that are relevant. I mean, for me, if you're going to serve me, it's like minority report where, uh, where he's like walking in the streets and it's like, uh, John, do you want to buy this? John, do you want to buy this? And it's like, it can be overwhelming if like everyone is kind of do and like 
that is when we talk about personalization. That is very – the first name stuff is like very surface level. And it's you want to be doing it very thoughtfully and very pointedly um, it, to kind of really stick out and kind of gather people's attention right, in that way. Right, And so like within financial services, like if you want to at least just recognize them by like industry or size, that that is a great place to start. And I yeah. guarantee like it will definitely put you ahead of – some of the others who may not be doing anything quite yet. Um, Yeah. I I think that kind of rounds us up today. That was such an exciting chat and so many good pieces of, you know, tactical advice. What are the challenges? How do you move a career through financial services? What does that look like across two different people? How, how do you find the right people within financial services who are doing really great things and, How do you kind of build them up and build their careers up? Ultimately, ending us with what makes a great customer experience. There's a couple questions, Robbie, at the end that we ask every one of our folks who join us. And that is, is there a book, a blog, a newsletter, a website, or a video that you would recommend to our listeners? Not to put you on the spot. Um, No, no, that's fine. Um, uh, two things that I would recommend. Uh, one is a book that I read uh, I, when it was very popular years ago, but I bring it up in uh, in conversation all the time. So I always tell people about it. Uh, the Power of Habit. Um, I'm forgetting the writer of the book, but um, it's one of these books where I just like I've quoted stories from this for the last like 10 years. And I'm really dining out on it or last eight years. So I always tell people in marketing to check out The Power of Habit. Um, really interesting stuff about personalization and marketing. And then the last person you should follow is Robbie Freeman. Um, you should be that. looking Shout at me on Robbie, LinkedIn. Everyone. Shout out to Robbie Freeman, uh, rfreeman87 on LinkedIn. Come comes uh, come shoot me a shoot me a message uh follow me um i'm posting a, a bunch of marketing stuff all the time so uh I, I really think that guy knows what he's doing so um that's that's that those are the people i would talk to oh and, and last one i'm a big fan of uh the pivot podcast um with scott galloway and kara swisher and i i find a lot of interesting business stuff on on that and i follow scott on various uh social mediums so uh that's kind of a little bit more mainstream than Robbie Freeman, but like with Robbie Freeman, you're getting the real good stuff. (laughs) Awesome. I love it. Thank you so much. And for all of our listeners, don't forget to subscribe and give us a like, let us know if we are getting the right folks on here and the right content and anything else you all would like to see. And thank you so much, Robbie, for joining us here on the sunny side up podcast and looking forward to chatting again soon. Of course, it was wonderful. Also, follow Tara on LinkedIn. Why not? Follow both of us. Do it. Yeah. Plug for her also. Yeah. If folks are looking to connect with me, I'm on LinkedIn at Tara Barquette Quell. Talk about all things financial services, account-based marketing. And yeah, I've been getting into a little bit of TikToks here and there. So some decent content out there for you all. So thank you so much. I can't. This was really fun. I, I can't wait to do this again. So thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, Robbie. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demandbase TV. 